Well, good morning, everybody. How are you doing on this? I know that technically it's still summer, but it's fall. <laughs> and it's glorious. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, man, we just spent the last week getting stuff moved over from Spokane. So we've got all of, our, all of our stuff in a storage unit down here. And we are out of Spokane now. So, um, yeah, thank you. Thank you for your prayers. And I know a lot of you have been asking how we're doing and everything. But, um, well, I just want to welcome you all here today. Thank you so much for making Celebration Center part of your Sunday morning. Because I know that God wants to speak to us. He wants to direct our lives. He wants to lead us to new places. And whether you're a guest or you're a regular, thank you for being here. My name is Nathan Harris, and I'm the pastor here. And yeah, I'm just excited to be here with you guys. We are actually continuing our three-part series called Bigger this morning. We're in part two. Bigger is about our life on mission as individuals and as a community of faith. And the big idea we're working from within this series is we've been invited to be part of a bigger life. We have been invited to be part of a bigger life. And the way we describe this bigger life here at Celebration Center is through our mission which is this, inspire people to follow Jesus, discover new life in him, and change our world. This is the bigger life we have been invited into. And last week, we looked at Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 16, and we talked about how this bigger life, this life on mission, is centered in Jesus who is the one who is at the center of God's bigger story, the one through whom God accomplishes his plans to make all things right and to put the world back the way it's supposed to be. If you weren't here last week, I encourage you, go to our website, ccpuallup.com, and you can click on the, uh, the sermon podcast. Thank you, Katie. <laughs> I read your lips. Thank you. Thank you for helping me. Got my back. Um, but you can click on that link and you can listen to last week's message. It will be helpful to, to hear that, okay? Uh, this week, we're going to look at Jesus's kingdom announcement. Jesus shows up on the scene and he says, guess what? Things are different. I'm here. Things are different. It's a little bit like when my daughter walks into a room and says, I'm here. <laughs> okay. But Jesus gives a kingdom announcement that includes a cost. There's a cost to this kingdom announcement or within it. And it's a cost we have to understand and choose, okay? We have to accept that cost because there's actually no workaround for it. Anybody here like to get stuff for free? I'm going to raise my hand. I love getting stuff for free. I love, if I can get out of paying for something, I will. Now, don't worry, for those of you that I've invited for coffee and lunch, I'm not going to have you pay for it, okay? But, um, and I'm working my way through, I promise. But um, I, I am a little bit cheap. As a matter of fact, not too long ago, my wife and I were selling a car, and we got a buyer. The buyer agreed on the price, and everybody was happy with everything. And then the buyer came back and said, I want to build a sale, because when I go in, and get the title transferred, all of that. I just want I, I just want this in hand. And okay, no problem. So I do what every cheap person does. I Googled it. How can I get this for free? That was my thought. How can I get this for free? And guess what I found? I found websites where you can actually produce these bills of sale and other things for free. 
I thought, I'm in. I'll do this. So I fill out all of my, my uh, information, and then at the very end when I go to print the thing, I discover the only really free part about this was entering my information. I have to have a subscription in order to print the thing. And I'm like, I'm not done. I'm going to figure this out. So you know what I did? I copied and pasted. I, I put it into my favorite word processing program, and I printed this thing out, and I didn't have to pay a dime for it. Anybody else do anything like that? Yes. Yes. Jesus' kingdom announcement in the Gospel of Matthew is based on what we talked about last week, that people living in exile, people living a life separated from God, suddenly find that God has drawn near to them. Not because of anything they've done, but because of who he is. And what this means for us is that there is nothing we can do to earn God's favor. There's nothing we can do to earn his love, his grace, his mercy, because he just gives us those things. He hands them out for free because that's who he is. But that doesn't mean there is nothing for us to do. As one theologian put it, grace is opposed to earning, not to effort. Grace is opposed to earning, not to effort. Okay? We don't have to earn God's grace. He gives it to us. But once we receive that grace, God says, now, let's get to work. You see the difference there? We don't have to earn it, but we put it to work. And within Jesus' kingdom announcement, there is a cost for us. He's already drawn near to us. Now we need to do something. So here's our main thing this morning. Jesus calls us into God's bigger story. Last week, we talked about how Jesus is the center of God's bigger story. This week, we're talking about how Jesus calls us into God's bigger story. If you're taking notes, you can fill in that blank. Now, the fact that Jesus calls us into God's bigger story means that he's also calling us out of what opposes God and his bigger story. There's some change that needs to happen. And as we continue to look at Matthew 4, we're going to look at uh, one verse this morning. Yes, one verse this morning. Matthew 4, 17. This is Jesus' kingdom announcement. I'm reading from the NIV. If you have your Bibles or your Bible app, go ahead and open up there. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. It says this. From that time on, what time? From Jesus moving into Galilee, making Capernaum his home base, okay, and, and being the light of God shining into the darkness. Okay, we, we talked about that last week. So from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. When I was in high school, I think I was a junior, I was uh, getting close to my the summer. I was given an opportunity to be able to go make money with the United States Forest Service for the summer. Uh, one of the teachers at the school came up to me and said, hey, I've got a line on this job. Would you like it? I said, hmm, I need to think about it. Can I, can I put off the decision until I talk to my parents? Now, why would, I, why would I talk to my parents? 
It, my parents wanted me to make money. I needed to make money. This was an excellent opportunity for me. But you know what? I was afraid. I was afraid of losing my summer of leisure. Okay? I ended up missing out on the opportunity to make money, something I needed to do, something that was going to be good for me because I was unwilling to pay the price and exchange my summer of leisure for something else. When Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near, he is offering all, including us, grace. It's grace that he's offering, but it's grace that has to be acted on. Repentance is the key there. Repentance simply means to turn from one course of action and to go in the entirely opposite direction, living opposite of the way that we once were living. It's a complete change. Now, I've found that we often view the call to repentance as either an indictment against us or we take it as grounds for pride to build ourselves up over other people. What do I mean by that? Well, when we view the call to repentance as an indictment against us, we receive the message through the lens of God being a strict taskmaster who's simply out to whip us into shape. In this view, God is like a harsh parent yelling at us from the other room that we're not doing life good enough and that we simply need to stop it. Whatever the it is, stop it in order to make him happy with us. When we view the call to repentance as an opportunity to be prideful, to build ourselves up, it's because we're comparing ourselves to other people. I am not like that person. I don't do those things. Look at me. I'm good. Both of these responses miss what the call to repentance is. Because Jesus' call to repentance is neither the bellowing of a lazy, distant parent, nor is it a way for us to elevate ourselves. Jesus' call to repentance is an intensely personal invitation to join God's bigger story because it is our response to God's incredible grace and love. Remember, as we looked at last week, those who have been uh, living in exile, living separated from God, suddenly find that God has already drawn near to them. The, the call to repentance is not so that God will draw near to us. It's because he already has. He's already met me in my mess and in my life. And repentance is my choice to abandon everything opposed to him and to wholeheartedly sign on to his plan, to his way of life. Jesus invites us into God's bigger story. Will we accept the invitation? Will we accept the invitation? That's the question we have to answer. So what does it look like to accept the invitation? What is it that we actually need to repent of? There's a great story earlier in Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew. John the Baptist uh, is having an encounter with some Pharisees and Sadducees. They were, these religious leaders were trying to get in good with the people, so they were hanging out near where John was, checking things out, and, and trying to look good 
in front of the people. And, and here's how Matthew records this encounter going down. This is Matthew chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. It says, But when he, when John, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers! Talk about making friends and influencing people, right? I mean, this is a great way to get off on the right foot with folks. You, you bunch of poisonous snake offspring. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, live a life that demonstrates that you're actually different than you have been. And then he goes on, verse 9, And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. In other words, don't rely on your pedigree. Don't rely on the fact that you are bloodline related to Abraham who received a promise that that's going to be enough to save you. Verse 10, the axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Hard stuff. Now, you see, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were the religious political leaders of Jesus' day. We here in the United States are accustomed to the separation of church and state. In other words, religion cannot have over undue influence on the political structure, and the political structure cannot have undue influence on the religious structure. There's supposed to be a, a strict separation between the two, but that was not the case in Jesus' day where he was. To be religious meant that you were political because the very hope that people had was that God was going to become king. God would become king. And the way that the, that the Pharisees and the Sadducees thought that this was going to work out was through their collusion with Rome. They were solidifying their power. They were trying to make themselves look good in front of the people so they wanted to be popular. All right, So they did things in front of other people to solidify their own position. Now, on the other hand, there was another group of people called the Zealots. We don't actually see them in this John, or in this uh, Matthew chapter 3 passage. But there was another group called the Zealots. And these people were famous for the saying, no king but God. And, they were, and their way of making God king was through revolution and violence. Okay? Death to the infidels sort of a thing. And so Jesus comes on the scene, and he begins to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. To and he preaches this to both sides and to everyone in between. In other words, he says, you've got it wrong. God is not going to become king by you colluding with pagans or trying to make yourself look good in front of other people, nor is he going to become king through your revolution of violence. Instead, he says, God becomes king through people who are wholly committed to him and his way of doing life. Now, here's the thing. Not only do we need to see repentance as a gracious offer to, for us to get in on to God's bigger story, but we need to see it as encompassing more than just our individual lists of sins. Okay, now don't get me wrong. We absolutely need to repent of things like gossip and, and being lazy and lust. And you, you, you name all kinds of things. You, we need to repent of those things for sure. 
But we need to repent at a deeper level that goes to the way we view the world, the way we think God should do things. You ever think God needs to kind of sign on to your program of life? Come on, God, join me. Let's, let's do this. We need to repent of those things because those things are actually at the base of those individual sins that we find ourselves in. They are the source of them. We need to be transformed and reshaped, freed so that we can live as God's children in the world. Now, we, we live out repentance by becoming transformed. So how do we get transformed? What does that look like? I'm going to spend the rest of our time this morning talking about that. Looking at how we become transformed. And I want to give you a three-step process I found to be extremely helpful. It's be, become, do. Be, become, do. Be is be with Jesus. Okay? Become is become like Jesus. And do is to do the things Jesus does. Do the things Jesus does. So number one on your outline, if you're taking notes, is be with Jesus. Be with Jesus. My wife and I first met through eHarmony. I was living in the Eugene area, and she was living in Spokane. And the only way we could really get to know each other was through phone conversations. This was over 13, this is 14, over 14 years ago now. And uh, at that time, you couldn't even make all of the calls on the cell phones uh, that you wanted unlimited. But we both happened to have Verizon, so we both had the, the free Verizon to Verizon call kind of a thing. And I think at one point we calculated we had racked up about 1,500 hours that we had spent on the phone together. That was important for us to get to know each other, but I couldn't just stop there. I had to make it a priority for me to go to Spokane, and I stayed with her parents... <laughs> Okay, and uh, so that I could spend time physically with her in her presence so I could learn more about her so she could get to know me. When I say be with Jesus, that's what I'm talking about. Spend purposeful time with Jesus because it's really, really hard to know somebody you don't spend time with, isn't it? So what are some ways to do this? Bible reading. Read your Bible. One of the things that I'm providing you with, it's on the back of your notes, is a soap devotional that you can use. Read the Bible passages. And, and the, the, the instructions on the back of that note sheet will tell you what to do, how to walk through that. But read. Get into the Word. Let Jesus speak to you in and through your Bible reading. Get to know Him. Hear what He has to say. Another way is to pray. Prayer is simply talking to Jesus the way you talk to your friends. You don't have to have a real great big uh, formula or anything like that. As a matter of fact, Jesus says, don't have a formula. Don't be like the people who think that if they say all of the right things in all of the right ways, that then they're going to get God's attention and God is actually going to listen to them and, and perform whatever it is that they want God to perform for them. He says simply, Approach him and say, Daddy, 
okay? Talk to Jesus the way you talk to a friend. Maybe it's going to be over times of celebration. Hey, there's some really good stuff that's going on. Hey, Jesus, thank you. Maybe it's going to be times of pain and fear. And you're like, Jesus, help. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what's going on. I don't, I don't understand this. I don't know how to get out of this. Whatever the context, take it to Jesus and then listen. Because that's also part of prayer. Just like when you're having a conversation with a friend, if you're doing all of the talking, are you really being a friend? <laughs> no, we got to listen. Sit and listen. Hear what Jesus might have to speak to you. So there's Bible reading, there's pray, then there's also community. Be in community. And I'm not talking about the kind of community that just gets together to sit down and watch a football game, though there is nothing wrong with that. <laughs> that is fun. That is enjoyable. I encourage you to do that. The kind of community I'm talking about is one that encourages and challenges us. You ever have a, have a friend who kind of held a mirror up to your face, so to speak, and said, um, you might want to look at this. That's uncomfortable. I remember a time I was in the sixth grade. I had a friend confront me on some cheating I was doing. <laughs> yeah, I'm not perfect. Guess what? I never cheated again. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the kind of community, one that steps into our lives and says, hey, come on, we've got a better way of doing this. We can do life differently. And they encourage you and you encourage them. You're praying together. You're walking through life with each other because you know why? Oftentimes, Jesus reveals himself through other people. And where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am, he says. Okay? So get into community. Now, those are just a few ways to begin to be with Jesus. Pick one or two of them and start doing it. Just start doing it. Be with Jesus. Number two on your outline, become like Jesus. Become like Jesus. Jesus. Last summer, I took my kids out into our driveway and I began uh, teaching them how to wash our minivan. Has anybody else ever taken little kids out to wash a car? Does the car actually get washed? No, it doesn't. I think what happened was they each got a turn with the hose, which meant dad got squirted in the face. Uh, they each got to do a little bit of scrubbing on the van, which meant that daddy had to go back behind them and do the scrubbing so that it would actually get clean because, yes, I am that person, okay? Um, and then at one point, I think all chaos just kind of broke loose when my son abandoned the entire process. He runs into the garage, grabs a scooter, and run, proceeds to run over my, my bottle of car washing soap, spilling it, and it was all over the, yeah, it, it was a mess. It was a mess. You guys, as we're reading our Bibles, as we're praying and getting into community, we, we have an opportunity to begin to apply the things we're hearing and learning. When we do that, we begin to become like Jesus in our attitudes and in our motivations. It's, it's like when my kids experienced washing the van with me. They didn't always get it right, okay? And there was a lot to learn and to grow through, but they did it all within the context of doing life with me. There was a give and a take there. Becoming like Jesus happens within the context of doing life with Jesus. So we take those things that we're doing 
as, as we are being with Jesus and we, we apply what we learn into our everyday lives and we become like Jesus. Number three on your outline, do the things Jesus does. Do the things Jesus does. Um, you know, when one of my kids acts in a way that's disrespectful or disobedient, oftentimes they will hear my wife or myself say to them, in our family, we are respectful. Or in our family, we are obedient. And our message to them is simply that we do things differently because of who we are. Life is different for us because of who we are. Now, we're going to talk more about this more next week. But for now, doing the things Jesus does flows out of being with Jesus and becoming like him. It doesn't happen in a vacuum. It's the culmination of who we are, not merely a duty that we check off on a list. Let me say that again. Doing the things Jesus does is the culmination of who we are. It's not a set of duties that we simply check off on a list. When we are with Jesus and we become like Jesus, then we begin living the way Jesus lives, which is in love. We begin living a life of love. And it becomes second nature to us. I remember uh, just before my wife and I got married, I got a part-time gig working at a, uh, it was a plumbing supply warehouse. And my job was very exciting. I got to pick up the little brackets and and put the little uh barcodes on them and and we were basically our jobs were being held over our heads based on how quickly we did this well when I started at first I was really slow I was like oh, get this little sticker on this thing and I, I can't do it but as time went on the more I practiced it the more I did it the faster and faster I got in getting that barcode on there many of you have experienced something similar when it comes to learning a musical instrument or maybe playing a sport, you find that the more and more you do it, the more your body and your mind get used to that task and it becomes second nature. That is doing the things that Jesus does. When we have practiced being with Jesus and becoming like Jesus, we do that so much that now it's just second nature. And we go out and we begin to love. We begin to live this life on mission. This is the end goal of repentance, bringing it back to the repentance. Jesus invites us into this so that we can join him in doing, but it begins with abandoning all of our preconceived notions and ideas, all the things that we think should be in saying, I'm signing on to your program and I'm living your way. Will we accept the gracious invitation to get into God's big story? Will we accept that? Will we sign on to the mission to inspire people to follow Jesus, discover new life in him, and then to change our world? Will we do that? What might happen in our church and our community if we did?
what would happen? Now, I don't want anybody here to think, I mean, I don't, the glorious thing about me being new here is that I don't know most of you. So I am not thinking of anybody here or thinking of, you know, so-and-so is not doing it good enough or anything like that. I'm not thinking that. This is a process that we continually go through, that we have to do all of the time. We, we are continually saying, I am not choosing that. I am now choosing Jesus and his way because of what he has given to me. What might happen for us if we do that? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your loving, gracious invitation. God, I know that for a number of us here, we have, we have heard over and over in our lives that we don't do it good enough, that we don't measure up. But Jesus, that's not what you're telling us. You're inviting us because of the fact that you already love us so deeply, so recklessly that you have died for us. So there's no pressure to perform and to become good enough. There is only joining you and fully becoming what you have already created us to be. Jesus, thank you that you have invited us into God's bigger story. Help all of us here to see those areas where we need to leave behind some other stories, where we need to leave behind some other ways of thinking and, and doing life and to focus only on you and where you're leading us and what you're bringing us into. Help us to do that, Jesus. Help us to do that. Now, maybe you're here and you haven't yet begun your life as a Christ follower, but you like this idea of being called into a bigger story, a, a different life. One where you are loved so completely, but that you also get to turn around and, and do something significant and impactful with your life. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a prayer. Just make it your own. Jesus, I want what you've got. I want it. Bring me into your family. Let me experience who you are, your presence, your grace, and change me. I give you my way of life, my way of doing things, and I ask you to replace it with your way, with who you are. Jesus, for anybody who made that prayer their own, I pray that you would do that, that you would accomplish that. That you would wrap them up in your loving arms. And that they would experience you in their life, I pray. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you all stand with me, please? We're going to sing one more song. We're going to sing, Oh, How He Loves. Okay, and this is an opportunity for us 
to proclaim to God, yes, I understand that you love me, but I want us to turn it around and to also say, I love you back. Okay? I'm signing on to your plan. So let's sing this song together, and then I'll come back up and wrap us up. Oh, how he does love us. Like we talked about last week, suddenly those who are living in the valley of the shadow of death have discovered that the light has dawned. Jesus has arrived. And his call, his kingdom announcement is not to smack us down. It's an invitation. An invitation to join him, to apprentice ourselves to him so then we become his extension in the world, not the world's extension to each other. Go this week, you guys, experiencing, knowing how he loves us and joyfully sign on to what he's doing. Next week, we're gonna finish up the series bigger. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. I encourage you all to come back. We will look forward to seeing you next week. Have a wonderful week, you guys. We'll see you later.